love it. Missed you guys so much. Let's close it out together. All right. Hey, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Southside Trap Podcast, the podcast that helps you stay on side with the Chicago Red Stars. It's your girl, Sandra. Here tonight with a doozy of an episode, we are doing a year-end recapping review of the Chicago Red Stars 2020 seasons. And I'm here tonight with my friend, homie, and colleague, Claire Watkins, a.k.a. Scam Originator. How you doing tonight, Claire? I'm good. I'm feeling contemplative. Same. I feel at peace because I'm with me's today, plural. Claire, you and I are joined tonight by our other friend, homie, and colleague, the third of our Chicago outfit, Johnny Halloran. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm very happy to see both of you tonight. Uh, definitely a nice, a nice opportunity to uh, kind of break the routine, which has gotten a bit overwhelming. It's Christmas all over again, Chicago outfit style. Missed each other. Uh, didn't get to, uh, you know, cover games the way we were used to covering games, uh, working beats, uh, hanging out in press boxes and stuff like that. But we did take in some games. Uh, hallelujah. They actually happened <laughs> this year, some sort of capacity. So we decided to outline uh these uh this episode for you guys probably going to be a two-parter so just fyi be prepared you know when you're recapping a year you're going to be chatting a lot uh, especially for uh, those of us in the know so we're going to go kind of chronologically here and we're going to start off way way back in the earlier part of this decade of 2020 uh going back to the draft <laughs> Where the rest yeah, are remember, some remember the draft. <laughs> but do you remember the draft <laughs> when that happened? Guys, the draft happened and the Red Stars did some things. And we even covered them and wrote about them and podcasted about them. And uh we got to see the Red Stars make uh some fr- not frantic, but it was why it was a frantic first round. They had a ton of picks, right? Uh those picks ended up being you know uh, traded out for lower picks and for players uh we saw the red stars make some offseason acquisitions they they signed Mackenzie doniak to bring into the the forward core part of that draft day scenario was making a move with orlando to bring rachel hill as a part of the forward core and then again trade out for future picks and maybe sort of, you know, have some additional assets uh, for the future drafts, which we're going to talk about coming into play because Chicago does love collecting their picks. Uh, and we got to see Chicago be a part of some small history and make the first move for some allocation money. So that was fun. Um, it's funny also recapping this because we're like, as I'm talking about it, it's like, oh, my God, all these things actually did happen in this year. It's crazy to think about that. Uh to put, try to get ourselves back in the headspace and then going into this preseason that ultimately never really happened. Uh, what were your guys' sort of uh, visions or what were you going to be looking for in 2020 for, for this roster? Well, um, it's hard to even remember. I was like a, like a summer child back in January. I, <laughs> I will also say this. John, you weren't part of our draft episode, but I do remember that when they made the move for Rachel Hill, um, and getting a player like Doniak, and obviously they had made the addition of Kalia Watt, it was like, oh, like we're getting clusters of forwards to go with these other forwards. Like things are happening. Like the Red Stars maybe want to look a little different perhaps. So obviously I think we were kind of excited to maybe see um, if that would pan out or if that would be something, you know, that was bankable, right? Because obviously the moves were being made for experience. Versus yeah, it was draft. well. It was funny when you brought up the draft because I thought, oh my god, that was this year, um, and and then you said, what were we thinking heading into the season? And I was like, oh my god, like just like Claire said, that feels years ago. Yeah. Um, but I, I think at least I personally, I think most of us probably were thinking about how does the team replace Sam Kerr because that was only a year ago that she left the team, and like you said. I thought from the very beginning they were going to have to approach it with this kind of money ball style of picking up some, some, I don't know, maybe mid tier talent and seeing what they could make of it. And it made a lot of sense because you're going to replace Sam Kerr. Right. And so they brought in Watt and Hill and Doniak. Um, I think the excitement was to see, yeah, can they, can they do something different with these players? And boy, when you think about 
that only being a year ago and you think about how things have worked out since then it just it's it shows how quickly any sort of expectations or predictions can be just completely off course one of the one of the things i do remember rory saying at, at the draft that now seems somewhat prophetic is um they were talking about why it didn't necessarily make sense for them to just swap international for international go find another target striker from from a different league um he was just talking about the, like the timing of different leagues and kind of what they indicated at that point was like we were probably going to take for the most part like a year off from the international market we're going to develop what we have here and then go after someone maybe next year or at the end of next season um because obviously with the way the schedules differ if you go after someone right now, you're not getting them until May because if they're on a good team, they're maybe playing Champions League, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and so I think even before everything fell apart, I'm not, I mean, like John said, I don't think they were thinking like, we're going to go grab somebody from a different market. We're going to incubate a little bit. And and I'm sure, I'm sure there were other things they would have done had everything not completely fallen apart. But um, they thought what they had was good enough to, and especially even just like compared to other teams, I'm sure what they thought was good enough to have a very steady regular season and then maybe make a bigger move in the future, which I mean, worked out for them because we didn't have a season and then now they've gotten to do stuff now. So, um, yeah, so it's funny that there are, there are just some of those little things that you go and you think back and you're like, well, Chicago is probably always going to be conservative this year. Um, and that's probably why they kind of somersaulted their way into that challenge cup final. But, um, that was always the plan. Everything else just changed. Yeah. These guys, uh, and, and everyone in the league really got into their markets, right? A preseason was supposed to begin. And we heard from a number of teams how, maybe this very short window, like some teams were together for about eight days to a week. Some teams were together like first four days. And then there was just like an immediately like halt pump of the brakes. Uh, The pandemic hits full blown, you know, it's declared a global pandemic. It's declared a pandemic within the the United States. And um, it ends up being something that we as a nation and globally have to cope with and try to manage with. Uh, for the duration of the entire year, it turns out. Um, so there was a stop uh, in preseason preparation and then a whole lot of question marks. Uh, we didn't know what was going to happen, um, let alone the players, right? And uh, a very long series of quarantining and maybe for some players self-isolation uh, took place. And uh, I would imagine that that was really difficult. I know for us, like on the content producing side of stuff, we were, we had to make a shift in terms of what we wanted to do on Southside Trap and how we wanted to, uh, you know, move forward with cranking out content, uh, whether it was podcast episodes or any type of written content, covering old matches, taking a deep dive into to prior years, stemming all the way back to 2013, and um, covering even the smallest of things, like virtual kit launch events, you know? Um, and then eventually, with a commissioner in place, uh, something like the Challenge Cup was born. Um, so, again, just to try to get in our headspaces, uh, what were some of the things that you guys were a feeling maybe during that time, if you guys feel like sharing or B what were you maybe looking for, for the team, maybe heading into actual tournament style competition, something that we haven't been able to see them participate in, in NWSL history before. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember it's funny to go back to it now, actually, because it was like, it was two things at once for, for us. And I think also for the league, which neither of which ended up being the actuality that, that happened, which like, that's how it works, right? Like you project like the worst thing and also the best thing. And then it ends up being somewhere in between, which is that um, if I go back and I think about the stuff that we did (laughs) on this podcast, before before the challenge cup started those are not people who think that this is going to last for a very long time 
because there's no way that you commit to like that unless you're like, oh, we're like planning out a certain number of weeks. Um, but at the same time, we talked, I mean, we talked to Rory on the podcast right before the Challenge Cup was announced. And I think he knew, right? But it, it was something where at that point you had to run on the assumption that there might be nothing at all. And so um, it was like this this weird in-between where I think we couldn't, how could you, fully comprehend exactly what this year was going to look like. But we also knew that or felt or thought that there was a possibility that instead of everyone kind of figuring out their different sports situations, that there would just be none. Um, and so I think that that was just kind of a, it was a wild time because I think that we operated under the assumption that the league was going to figure something out. And then they did, which has to, I mean, John can probably speak to this a little bit. Like John, were you expecting the league to be able to do what they did this year in at the beginning of March? I don't think so. I think it's, it's so funny because you mentioned you think of the best case scenario, you think of the worst case scenario. And I so clearly remember at the beginning of all of this, how so many of us thought, oh, we're just going to flatten the curve for a couple of weeks and then things are going to go back to normal. And then it became obvious that that wasn't going to happen. And then the thought was, why are you trying to hold a tournament at all? This seems like a crazy, unnecessary risk, especially when some of the after effects of this, of this disease for some people are, you know, uh, cardio, cardiopulmonary problems and, you know, lung scarring and things that obviously would end an athlete's career. But then you look at how well everything worked out, right? They pull off this tournament. They pull off the fall series. It's certainly not what any of us would have imagined in an ideal world. And, um, and personally, I, I was not invested at all in the fall series. I think I was just fried at that point and it just didn't seem important. But the Challenge Cup itself, I think, represented such just an amazing success for the league and for the people in charge that they were able to organize it, that they were able to do it safely, that they were, although most of the players talk about <laughs> some, some mental struggles being out there for the time they were like, they got through this tournament, they put out a good product. They did it before other leagues had pulled this together. It really was a really nice moment of success. You almost, and I've said this before, but I, I honestly think, the league came out of this stronger than they went into it, which is utterly insane when you think about the challenges and the impact that this, this pandemic has had on every single one of our lives, how this league, which everybody's greatest fear of the NWSL since day one is that it's going to fold, right? And yet they may have come out of this year even stronger than they went into it, which is crazy. It is. I think something else that like I also really enjoyed about Challenge Cup was um, the really large rosters <laughs> that uh, got announced to take there because talking about just touching on what you're saying, Judge, is sort of the concept of all this unknown and honestly layers of why are why is anyone doing this or making this attempt after so much stuff that got canceled, you know, um, all of the preseason uh scrimmages and stuff had been canceled before they eventually got started back up in some capacity the you know the spring tournament in portland you know with with all the teams that always participate got canceled and it just everything was getting canceled so it was like why why make this attempt especially as like the first one and then they went ahead and did it and then we got to see these teams release their rosters and part of it obviously was you know probably knowing that you're going into the unknown and you might have to prepare for that kind of stuff. I'm just like, we're what had watched other professional leagues with really large rosters or have additional practice squad players, because guess what? Someone's got COVID, the show's going on and you're just sliding someone else in there. Um, and for Chicago, uh, they also had like a really unique position because there were a number of players, you know, who were given the option to, to opt out due to concerns. And, and we saw players do that, you know, due to a combination of concerns over COVID or, or, or injury, you know, big names like Rapino, uh, Megan Rapino, Kristen Price, Tobin, uh, Tobin Heath, uh, Carly Lloyd, right, Mel Pugh. Uh, but for the Red Stars, I think everybody sort of looked at the roster and was like, well, that's, that's cool. Because they had all of their national team players 
participating in the Challenge Cup. They had a, a lot of their all of their regular, for the most part, all of their regular core players in, in place. Their veteran NWSL players, and a slew of their uh, new pickups in, in in draft pickups for for 2020. So you know we got to see the arrival of Cassie Miller and the goalkeeper side of things, uh, Cameron Bogowski, Julia Bingham, um, you know Kayla Sharple, Santa Davison in their second year. Uh, Bianca St. George's, you know, rounding out that Zoe Morris for, for defenders. Um, Savannah McCaskill, obviously for, for the midfield core with Yuki Nagasato, Cassie Rowan and the arrival of Ella Stevens and Mackenzie Donia, Rachel Hill, Katie Johnson, Sarah Luber, uh, Zoe Reddy, Michelle Vasconcelos, Khalil Watt. So large, large, large roster. And I think looking at that and kind of having the way we operate in the sports world and you say, well, this team went to a championship final last year. So this team and this roster is going to make some noise. And that's like the general narrative, right? That's like the general sports narrative that you hear. But what you're hearing from the Red Stars is they're going into this challenge cup is a little bit different. Everything that we were hearing on the local side of things was this challenge cup is a thing that is happening and we're going to do our best. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you think, you think, I mean, similar to to what John said, the idea of like things getting weird, weirdly getting stronger this year. Um, I, it was so, I mean, funny is not quite the right word, but the idea that you have everything collapse and these teams are trying to figure out how they're going to keep going. There are revenue issues all of that, all of that sort of stuff. And then Chicago drops its largest roster ever, you know, and, and to have them actually have that full 28 player roster um, was very cool. I mean, I think that that was definitely a high point of the year was getting to see so many different players get to play for the red stars. And um, I, it's, it's funny and, and it kind of played out right where you don't necessarily know exactly who all of these people are, especially the people who were not drafted by, by the team or whatever, but you're like, Oh, so they're like, they're like Chicago, <laughs> Chicago land, you know, club kids. And you're like, ah, they'll be fine. They'll, you'll throw them out there. They'll be fine. Um, and that ended up mostly being true. So, so yeah, I, I thought it was really nice. I mean, I think it's, it is that same thing though, right. Where, all, all of their top line players were the ones that we already knew. There were no surprises there, right? No big moves. Um, and then it was just a question of what did the new assets and what did the young kind of kids have to show? And it ended up being pretty good. But yeah, I think that the larger rosters is one of, if not the best part of 2020 for me, I think. John. Did you have any games in particular during Challenge Cup that kind of stuck out to you or any performances from any of these 28 players that maybe you sort of kind of pointed at and put your finger on and was like, let me keep this thought in the back of my head for a little while and see how that plays out? Yeah, I would say for me, the the debut of Bianca St. George. Um, and then you can you can tie it together because you can look at the semifinal where she had that outstanding performance as well. And you, you kind of look at the beginning of that tournament and the end of that tournament. And I think that her performance really was a, a very pleasant surprise because I don't think any of us really knew what she was capable of, right? She gets drafted a year earlier, but doesn't play uh, and undergoes, I think, knee surgery the day after the draft, um, you know, to take care of some damage that she had suffered in college. I don't think any of us expected that you'd have this, this player come on and make such, such a big impact. And right from the get-go, like, she has no fear at all. Like day one, minute one of her NWSL debut, she's going into tackles. And um, like I said, by the semifinal of that tournament, she's also showing what she can do on the offensive end. And I think that for me, that's probably the most, if I had to narrow it down to one, I'd say that's the most pleasant surprise from the challenge cup. I don't disagree with that. I think that that first game against Washington spirit, because uh, all of these little groups that they were in before they got that guaranteed kind of quarterfinal spot and knowing that they were going to have games against, you know, Spirit, Sky Blue, Utah, forgetting someone else. There North Carolina. Like, courage. Yeah, there was like a, that shift that they had to go through because they had been preparing 
to play certain teams and then Orlando had to opt out because of COVID. And so they had to reshift the schedule and seeing the teams that they were preparing for versus the teams that they ended up having to play against and seeing that type of performance out of BSG. Uh, we talk a lot about that. We've been invited to talk on other podcasts about like, you know, oh, what define a Chicago Red Star or what makes a Chicago Red Star. And like Bianca St. George was like coming out in that first game and you were kind of pointed at and you're just like, that's a Red Stars defender right there. Yeah, I um, I mean, I think that, well, again, it's like, of course, I mean, obviously we saw what happened in the final and, you know, well, there was, we've talked enough about that, honestly, but um, this whole thing, I think I said this, I said this in one of my recaps where it's like, you can't tell a bunch of NWSL coaches that all they have to do is not lose and, you know, and, and they'll advance um, because that was, you know, it, that's just something that Chicago um, is very good at. They're very good at not losing, you know, or the traditional Chicago Red Stars team. So, um, yeah, I think you have some players that in sort of this imperfect situation and where, where things are truly whittled down, there was no beautiful soccer being played at the challenge cup, but like, it's all just about commitment and, um, willingness to just really kind of put yourself on the line. And that's where you, obviously you had those performances really shine. I mean, I think we all really enjoyed, especially, I mean, I'm going to be on, I mean, we talked about this enough, but like that Washington game at the beginning of the challenge cup sucked for like a number of reasons. It felt really bad. Um, and then they did a complete starting roster change for the second game. And then those guys, that was where you talk. I mean, they, they talk about all the time. We can talk about just what an emotional journey this was for the red stars. And so they have this nightmare of an opening night. It's the first night of the whole thing. And it, it's not good. And then you have, they're like, okay, so we're going to bring out this whole new group of people and we're just going to have them work really hard. And it worked. They did not lose. And I think the fact that they did not lose that game helped immensely. Like, I, I know that people, myself included, can sometimes, you know, have some things to say about anti-football or whatever, but that was really important for them. And the fact that those players came in and did everything they possibly could um, against Portland. I think that that really turned, turned things around in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I think that might've been my favorite game would have been that, that nil, nil Portland thorns just grind it out. Um, because yeah. there were other grinding games that did not feel so good in that cup. I think. No, the one where they just didn't lose just felt, kind of dope to watch and I yeah. think that that's a pretty popular game for a lot of Chicago Red Stars players you know staff included um was was that Portland game I actually sure. also really enjoyed the game that one of the games that they did lose which is the one against North Carolina like yeah. I thought that game was fantastic um and again in this way and I actually I'll say this I really kind of enjoyed how nothing really mattered this year in a way where it's like they have that great performance and a real back and forth and that game is awesome and they lose on a set piece and you just don't have to feel that bad about it because who cares about the result? Like it was enjoyable sometimes to really be able to focus in on performances and worry less about who got, who got the points, you know? Yeah, for sure. And it was like, also, I mean, it was also really good to just see the rotation in it. I mean, that was, again, the things that we were hearing leading into this challenge cup that they were going into this tournament completely scripted matches were scripted players were going to have their assignments they knew what games they were going to be getting minutes they were going to be seeing and Chicago really kind of set the tone I think when it came to being that transparent because you know the competitor in all of these athletes and probably even the coaches and the staff is that you don't maybe want to speak out on that kind of truth sauce right but uh, we're all living through something very, very transformative. And uh, I appreciated that Rory Dames had kind of set that tone for his team and was like, we're going to compete, but we're going to be competing on these terms. Um, 
and I think it allowed us to to get a lot of different looks. I mean, it, there also was moments of obviously a lot of frustration. You know, we had to cover these players as they were going through something that they had never imagined going through. We got to see, maybe uncomfortably, um, how much that played in the mental aspects of their games. And I know I, I can't speak for all of us, but I know to some extent maybe I can, how maybe there were some layers or levels of uh, uncomfortableness with that and covering it. Uh, covering the soccer, we knew we did, you know, we had to maybe cover it in like a different kind of lens. Like knowing and understanding full well that, you know, these players are being asked to compete in like very unnormal circumstances. So the soccer that we were going to be watching was, yeah, of course, A, not going to be pretty, whatever that means when it comes to American domestic soccer, but A, not going to be pretty or B, not going to be familiar, you know, in terms of fluidity or formations or stylistic things that we see from a number of teams. Um, And I think Chicago, just being very honest about things from the get-go, maybe kind of helped a little bit in that because we knew we were going to see a certain lineup, you know, in that first game, and then they were going to completely change it around that second game and so on and so forth. And it went on and on and on until all of a sudden they started to realize that they were advancing in this tournament. Yeah. I wanted to flip this to, to John for a second um, because, you know, John's been, John's been doing this for a long time and, I, one thing that struck me while Sandra was talking was like this idea of just how kind of weird it weird, but also in a way, you know, felt very human that I know for me, when I was doing player interviews, talking to people, like the first question is almost always like, how are you holding up? How are you doing? And I wanted to ask John, if, do you feel like kind of the tenor of the conversations that you had with people this year was different because everyone was kind of going through this similar I mean, we were not doing what they were doing, but we were all going through this global event together. Yeah, and I think a lot of the coverage was obviously focused on that leading into the tournament. So I think that that carried into it too. But the other thing um, that I think really impacted a lot of the discussions and, and even the players emotionally was how at the forefront the Black Lives Matter movement was at the beginning of the tournament, right? I mean, that was something that was really pushing into the national conversation in, in a way that I can't ever remember um, it being not just not just in sports, but just on the national stage. Like I think it's been 50 years since we've had a national conversation about race that's been anything close to what it's been uh, this year. And I know that the players, that was something that came through too, just not, not just with the players, I suppose, too, but the coaches like them constantly talking about all of the discussions that were happening behind the scenes. And, you know, we know that with Chicago in particular um, at the beginning of that first game and those, those emotional moments. And I, I don't think Chicago per se um, was, was even in the right emotional state to play soccer in that first game. And I think that probably had more to do with, with the, that movement and, and the conversations that were happening more than COVID or being in Utah or stuck in a hotel. I think it's important to always keep that perspective in there, you know, in light of talking about something like COVID and a pandemic, obviously playing a role in the mental aspect of things for these players, because that also was weighing heavily on them. And I would agree. And, and maybe making the, to compare the weights that that was probably heavier for them, um, not just Chicago, but as a whole. I mean, we heard it a lot from a lot of players, and I'm talking like team, not to you know disrespect the the small cities out there, but city markets like Chicago, or players out of D.C. right with their young players who were doing a lot of active discussions about that. Um, Houston uh, talking about that type of stuff as well. Um, players uh, making decisions to participate in protests within their big cities in light of a pandemic going on and trying to make smart choices after being asked and told to isolate. <laughs> and if you make, I mean, if you misstep or step out of bounds, uh, you're harming the team. 
and all of a sudden that conversation shifts into like you know well if i'm if you don't respect me this you know even as like a black athlete like that's stepping in you're harming me so there's a lot of uh there was a lot there um and uh covering it was very very unique and um i think everybody was just sort of trying their best um but i think that's also the biggest thing to maybe come out of challenge club as well right when we were having the discussion that we were having with the players i know we had invited several players on during challenge cup and they were always uh very cool about speaking to that whenever we asked them because we decided to ask every single one of them when they came on about the discussions revolving race issues and the importance of black lives matter and what that felt like for them to have those conversations, especially the players that we were having interviews with who were white women or non-black players and to hear them speak on that. And uh, they were always willing to do that, which I think was a real testament to the work that they were and still are possibly trying to continue. Yeah. And I think, um, well, you know, we're talking about the year as a whole, I would hope that one of the positives to come out of this year is that people were really encouraged on a lot of like large public spaces, whether it's entertainment or sports or, or whatever. Um, you know, I, I don't think um, sports writers, and I, I'm not sure this is entirely true for, for the NWSL in particular, but just in general, I don't think they're really encouraged to write about players like people because it's, it kind of makes things a little bit more complicated because like what a person, what kind of a person a player is, is not necessarily connected to how they do on, on the field um, or on the court. And so I think that a lot of times people are just trying to keep it. The idea of professionalism is to really just only focus on what that player does while they are playing. Um, but I think we saw this year, it's always been true, but you know, highlighted this year that that isn't good enough. Um, and it also means that if, if you, if you think that what these people do professionally is, is exceptional enough that you want to write about it and you want to cover it and you believe that it deserves coverage, you have to cover all of it and you have to be able to be fluent in those convers or as fluent as, but we're all learning, right. But to be as fluent as possible in those conversations and you have to try to see the person as much as you are seeing the player, because I think that's a lot of what we heard from everybody this year was just, I did not feel like people were seeing me and listening to me. It was more just about what my role was here. And so I think that um, I'm hopeful, you know, memories are short, people move on, all of that sort of stuff. And as we get out of our homes, eventually, I would hope that the, one of the things that sticks is that everybody is a little bit better about being mindful of covering the whole, the whole athlete, essentially. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Those conversations that the players and coaches and staff were happening were, were I'm sure difficult. I mean, we heard how uh, emotional they, they were. Um, and as media having those conversations, you know, I would, I would put that up there as well because trying to do a job while uh, trying to make sure that you are telling the story of the player, um, stepping outside of myself and having to do some of that stuff for CBS was incredibly difficult. Um, it was incredibly emotional um, and it was very, very heavy. And it was a weekend on the job for big old CBS. And that's sort of what you had to cover. And uh it doesn't feel good uh, writing about things like that, especially when it's players that you've been covering for years. Um, it was a big story that went around for players with images coming out of that game and the anthem. And uh, it does something to you on a personal level when you have to find yourself contributing to that because the images were all over the place and the stories were all over the place. And um, it's hard and it's even harder. I can't imagine it's just even more difficult like for the players to all of a sudden kind of be under, under that lens. So I'm super grateful for um, any of the time that I got with any 
players, especially the black athletes who were participating in this tournament. Um, you know, Mitch Purse was great about sharing some things. Sarah Gordon was great about sharing things. And I think, yeah, the one of the big things best things quite possibly to come out of challenge cup was all the discussion about the black players coalition. And I know for me, as someone who was covering challenge cup, that was a very important story to be talking about during this time. Cause the, honestly, the soccer was not it. We were covering a red stars team among what eight other teams who were not playing good soccer. <laughs> Their soccer was not, something to talk about we were trying to see you know oh let's see these stylistic things let's take a look at uh you know what formations are coming out let's talk about how no goals are happening anywhere for many teams uh there's a, a lot there that wasn't you know talkable like wasn't a lot of huge analytical talking points and um that's also just a very very big truth. I mean, that's part of why like some of these statistics coming out of these things aren't necessarily being considered, you know, actual stats that they're going to go towards career stats and stuff like that. And um, I imagine that's difficult. That was difficult for maybe a team like Chicago that's uh, used to playing a little bit more cohesive soccer, having a core in place, right? Having players who have been playing together for, for years and then while also trying to insert new blood and new names and first and second year players and um, watching a player like Kalia Watt work very, very hard during challenge cup and seeing all these really great ideas. And then just not seeing the goals happen uh, again. It was just like another thing where it's like, they'll come and it's fine, you know, or seeing them finally get into these knockout rounds and really have to figure their stuff out. Um, and even that, like, that final game as they were heading into it, you know, watching Casey Short get that header and like dunking on Kelly O'Hara and the, and the Royals and things like that, that it takes you through these like emotional waves and they go through like not scoring. And then you see a defender coming in near stoppage time and getting ahead of like all that stuff sends you through like all these waves of, of emotions. It's, 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 it was wild. It was, it was emotional for them and it was emotional for us. Yeah. I think also one of the things, what you just said about, about Casey, like just, reminded me like the other thing that we kept having to deal with was like you like you have a game and you're like wow Morgan Gatra is really like running up the middle she's doing great okay she's out <laughs> and you're like and then you're like yeah Kate Casey Short she has she's like their offensive engine she's keeping them in it she's keeping them going oh oh she's out too oh. okay oh uh, so oh. like so like you know it's really good that they have like the Yuki Nagasato maturity yeah. in class then you're like yeah. oh, oh so no she she's passed away okay so yeah. uh, so just like over and over again just being like uh so like it kept changing the narrative then, kept changing. like Danny Colaprico like is able to take a couple games off and then they're like, no, we need you. And they like grab her and they're like, you're playing, you know? And so, um, I, that whole experience too was so funny because yeah, they didn't get enough time, but also just like in terms of the bodies hitting the floor, like <laughs> all of the good stuff got cut so short. Um, and, and I mean, I, you know, hindsight, hindsight's 20 hindsight's ha hashtag 2020, but, um, I don't know about you guys, but going into that last game, I was not, uh, I thought it might go the way that it went just yeah. what we had kind of gone through. I mean, we're a Chicago Red Stars podcast. We're not going to come on this show of ours that we do about this team that we talk about and say that they're not going to win that big game but we're going to feel a certain way about it. And I think that we did. I think that we did feel a certain way about it. I think we felt the truth. And the truth was that they entered, they found themselves stumbling into another championship final of some sort. And uh, they had a million T injuries to go along with their million T in one roster and uh, wasn't looking great. And then on the other side of things, you had a Houston Dash team that was just like peaking and streaking at the absolute most perfect time. And uh, if you watch sports, <laughs> a lot of times when those narratives are in place, uh, the other team that is doing the streaking and the peaking is typically going to have a good game. Yeah. Um... Yeah, John, did you think they were going to win? Do you think they were going to win the championship? I think um, 
That that's a good question because you know you mentioned all the injuries and whatnot, but I I think we also have to admit that the beginning of that game didn't start very well, and that that's it true. became that's true. pretty obvious yeah. pretty quickly. The game that, the game state altered changed quickly. Yeah, right. And you can't you just can't start a game like that and you know put yourself in a, in a great spot to to pull it off, especially when, as you guys already mentioned, that you're entering that game basically half strength and um you know you, you mentioned danny in there and i just i just remember thinking that whole tournament like how is she still alive yeah because she and she's done this every year for chicago right, right. we even even last year there was that gap i don't know what it was maybe july and august where i think she could barely walk and uh, you know took i think maybe there was that weird period where there was an international break and they had a bye week and she managed to cobble together maybe like 19 days in a row where she didn't have to play a game and finally got over the hump. Um, but yeah, it, and did they, you know, I, I thought they had as good a chance to win it as Houston did. Um, but it's interesting too. Sandra mentioned the momentum thing, which, well, you could just feel that like Houston just came into that whole tournament with a chip on their shoulder and it's so hard to be upset about Chicago losing number one under the circumstances that this tournament was held in. But number two, I think just as fans of the league, you like to see a team like Houston and, and, and their fans get that, get that chance because a lot of those players were castaways. Yeah. It's not yeah. like North Carolina, like with North Carolina beat you, like, and you're still, you got a grudge, like fuck. Right, or Portland right. beats you, you know, like, it's okay if they're the bad guy, but like Houston doesn't feel like the bad guy. Well, the funny thing too is, um, well, this is, this is a true tangent. I'm just going to say it and I don't need a response, but like with Houston, they got creamed by Washington in the group stage of that tournament. They had like a couple moments where you're like, uh, is Houston the real deal? And then they started to really believe, like you could feel, it wasn't only that they came in with a purpose. It was that at the beginning you were like, maybe, and then they really started to believe it and they were able to, you know, put those performances together and, um, yeah, I mean, that was exciting. I mean, yeah, maybe I might be, I might be shading this a little bit too much, you know, from the other side, but, um, I would say for me, when we found out right before the game that Casey short would not be playing, that felt to me like perhaps one, one blow too many, but, um, yeah, I think it was the, I think it was Casey being can't go. And then the early PK was like, that's done. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, tough stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, again, but like everybody, I mean, I'm sure that, I mean, they were upset. We were upset. You can go back, you can listen to it. But um, afterwards, and once things got rolling towards the future after the Challenge Cup, you have to have a certain sense of perspective, right? Like no one's mad at Houston. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. There's no and beef I, there. Um, and honestly, like... <laughs> all things considered as we're talking about it it is seriously impressive yeah. that the red stars found themselves for sure in another some type of championship final the immediate year after they got creamed <laughs> in, a pre- in a previous one yeah. and then found themselves in what was going to be a building year because 2020 was go- was going to be that like chicago was a team on paper that was going to have enough talent to probably make another consecutive playoff of some sort, right? Even in the format that it currently was in top four teams, right? That it would probably find find a way in what was going to be an Olympic year. They were going to figure it out and uh, maybe kind of get there. But throughout that, this was going to be a building year for them. They went out and they got those pieces. They were going to try some things out. We were going to see looks in front of goal, more like a front six versus a a target forward. Like all these things were coming into play. Um, And when you have to work on that kind of stuff and like still facilitate and rotate new faces and new names, like some of that stuff doesn't click right away. And maybe you don't, maybe you don't get it to that next step, but all of a sudden, like here they were, and they found themselves in a final. And that in itself is, I think, very, very impressive and a real testament to the team and the culture that they have and that they've established. 
for themselves, um, you know, talking to Danny Colaprico ahead of the semifinal, like for CBS, it was like, it was like, of course, it was like, of course, dummy, like Sandra, me, like, why wouldn't the Red Stars be back in this final when you're hearing what's coming out of from these players um, that they just don't quit? That's just not part of their DNA. And all of a sudden, there they were. Yeah, I ask you I a mean, question? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I just, I just, I think about where Savannah McCaskill and Kalia Watt were five or six games into this year. And starting to, you could just see it was starting to get there, right? Like that momentum was starting to build. They were starting to find each other. I think we, I, I almost feel like even, even, with the fact that they had lost Kerr, that that offense was like, if we had had a regular 2020, that seven, eight games into this season, we might have seen something really special. Yeah, I would agree with that. Chicago is, I mean, we've been covering this team a long time. Chicago has notoriously gotten their slow starts and then they figured their shit out, man. The other player, the other player who was a total non-factor this year, and I do not think she would have been a non-factor in a normal year, is Michelle Vasconcelos. Um, she, they were really, really careful with her during the Challenge Cup, and then obviously before the Fall Series, she went back to Utah. Um, that was something that after Alyssa Motts got hurt, they got, they were like, we're not messing around with this. Um, certainly not on like that turf that they were playing on. Um, so that's another player that you add that into the mix. Yeah, I mean, I think that it would be it would be foolish at this point, given kind of what we got, to say that the projected idea for Chicago wouldn't have worked or would have only been limited or whatever. Like, I think that – and it's funny because Rory said it after every game. Like, he needed to keep reminding us, like, this was not the, – the intention was never for this to come together very quickly or right away um and so there were moments in the fall series that you saw some of that kind of happening but also that was a limited roster as well um but yeah and I mean I think the thing about the challenge cup it is also just kind of tough is that you did have that um vision and they were able to kind of put together pieces of it and then they were asked to play what was ostensibly like a an important game and it, it didn't kind of go the way that they wanted it to. And one of the things I enjoyed about the fall series, if we're kind of, you know, moving into to that part of the year was that, you know, you could be like that one sky blue game where they scored a bunch of goals. You'd be like, wow, that was great. It's working. And then they had the other sky blue game that went very poorly and you just be like, Ooh, but none of it, none of it really kind of mattered. It was just truly, um, trying out ideas and figuring out what kind of stuff was working. And I enjoyed that as well. So. Well, uh, just to put a, a cap on challenge cup, kudos to the red stars. Um, they definitely went through some things um, and it was truly an honor and a privilege to uh, cover them through that. Um, if you guys had to pick a challenge cup, red stars, MVP, uh, who are you going with? I'm taking Bianca. I was going to say, so, oh, yeah, you beat me. Well, yeah. I said it at the beginning, though. She yeah. was okay. just so impressive. Just so yeah. impressive. Really I, I, I mean, really, like, you see first-year players go out there and just, I don't know what the appropriate phrase is, crap the bed. You, you can <laughs> say from, shit on this show. Okay, Sh- shit the bed. And from minute one, she looked like a pro. And not just, you know, the the pro that plays a season and a half and then – you know, steps away from the game and you never see again. Like this, this player came into the league to say, here I am, I can do this. And not only am I going to do it, but I'm going to make an impact on this game and fearless challenges, um, incredible composure. I thought the ability to add to the score line, I was just so, so impressed. And really that, uh, which is odd for a Canadian who went to college in West Virginia, but the Chicago mentality from minute one. Yeah. Um, I would say that just only to add to it, cause I agree with all of that, but um, the even just physical, phys- like you talk about like physicality and willingness, the amount of games that she played in like two weeks 
after ne- before you know after never having a professional minute in her life. I mean, Sandra, Sandra and I talked to her during the challenge cup and she, she like, we, we congratulated her on all of her starts and she was like, I'm tired. (laughs) She was like, can I, she was literally like, well, she's like, I thank you so much, but can I have a break? You know? So just that, that willingness to do that and and to be excited and and enthusiastic about it the whole time, I think um, was a huge boost, huge boost to the team. Um, Yeah. Talk about someone that, was given an inch and turned it into a a yard. Yeah. Bianca St. George. That's, that's mine too. I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't want to go three for three, but I don't disagree with you guys, but I'll stay on the defensive line and um, I'll say Sarah Gordon. I think that 2020, 2020 was going to be a year in which um, there was going to be a lot asked of Sarah Gordon again. But this time in the sense of taking really kind of stepping into the stoplight uh, spotlight and, and being that sort of elite back in some capacity. Again, we all go here um, and we've watched and seen the progression of Sarah Gordon. And there are people who are just now um, noticing that or latching on to that. Um, but watching her from her draft in 2016 to now um, has honestly been spectacular. Sarah Gordon has, if not the one of the best uh, NWSL stories out there, um, should be a a face of this league when we're talking about players uh, that you market the league around. And things that we heard in the preseason uh, around players to keep an eye on, whether it was somebody like a Bianca St. George, because we did hear that. We heard a lot about uh, Zoe Morse and, and what she was doing in trainings and the player to watch out there. And we still heard that about somebody like Sarah Gordon and the work that she was putting in and how she was stepping outside of the concept of being a defender and reaching out to her midfielders and trying to get work in and perspectives, whether it was from somebody like a Danny Colaprico or somebody like Morgan Gatra. And uh, while there was a lot of rotation in the Challenge Cup and players only got a certain amount of games, I thought uh, Sarah Gordon was quite consistent on that back line. And she was far, far, far more important to that team in the locker room and everything that was happening off of it. Right. I mean, you talk about, I mean, I know you know this, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you got to say it, right? Like, um, talk about talking about the person. Um, She is someone that multiple red stars said multiple times and not even red stars, non red stars said that Sarah Gordon spent time this year, educating them on things that they needed to be educated on. You talk about discussions, you talk about reading, you talk about learning. Sarah Gordon was doing a lot of that. Sarah Gordon was also taking care of her son while in Utah. That couldn't have been easy. Um, And she, every single game was putting it together on the pitch. So I don't think there's a single person in the entire league who did as much as, as Sarah Gordon did this year. Um, and I'm we, Chicago. So lucky to have her, honestly, just so lucky to have her. Shout out to our challenge cup MVPs. This is the red stars court podcast. So of course we went with defenders. Uh, feels good to, to sort of put that to bed and put that in the past. And um, we are going to segue into the fall series. But first, I need another beer. <laughs>